I was on my school newspaper in high school and college. And in high school, we had a, a wall of clocks. Well, obviously, we weren't actually like breaking any stories in India or China or anything, but we still had like clocks labeled for cities in those countries, like just for the dramatic effects. Made us feel very official. I love that. Yeah, just like 17 year olds being like, what time is it in Bangladesh? We are people of the world. It's very important for this breaking news story about the snack machine that's been taken out of commission. <laughs> yeah, sometimes throughout my day, even when we're not recording, I'm like, Clem, if you're Clem, listening, if you're listening. Like, it's like it's like a prayer. If you're listening right now, give me strength. That's cool. You can leave little voice notes for Clem. Hey, Clem. <laughs> Just throughout my life. <laughs> Clem's like, please stop sending me 24-hour long recordings from your house. She's like sneezing uh, perpetually. It's like a baby uh, monitor. Hey, welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, V. And Sean. We interview people in the creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We ask people on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on Instagram because we don't know what's going to happen to Twitter. If they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. Today, we have with us Reza from Poorly Drawn Lines. Hi! Hello. Hi! I said hi at the exact same time as both of you. <laughs> Twins, <laughs> knock on wood, yo me a soda. <laughs> We're so in sync. <laughs> I'm so excited that you you're here with us, Reza, because um, I've seen I've seen your comics. I feel like I've seen your comics since forever. Like they, you've started doing comics, like at the beginning, kind of like of the of high time. of the beginning of time. It's it's yeah, always it's been around. It's been yeah. in caves. <laughs> you painted on the. I, it actually occurred to me recently that cave paintings were some of the first sequential artwork. Mm-hmm. I think a true precursor to comics, yeah. First web comics, dude. That's so true. Um, but yeah, I have been doing it for a long time. Not as long as the cave people, but since, um, I don't know, I guess, are there like distinct waves of web cartooning yet? It has Have have people, have like historians looked back and figured that out at this point? I, yeah, what era, ha- what eras have gone by? I would say, okay. I have a little, I have a, a, a tiny, tiny theory, which I mm. have only thought about for a couple of hours or days. So it's not very well thought through, but I think there are different eras of web comics, right? There's the era where it was just kind of like live journal or when people had their own websites. Right. You know? So and I started during the website era. So that, I think that's kind of like the, I think that's the OG. I think that's yeah. the OG because I feel like before that, I'm trying to think before that, I I don't know if there was like anything. Like if if you could use AOL to get to the webcomics page or something. Right. I, so I know that when I started out, there were only a few webcomics that had gotten like big, big enough for, you know, people to just kind of stumble across them on the internet without specifically going to look for webcomics. Mm-hmm. And I think those were like Cyanide and Happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe XKCD, maybe Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal. Mm. Um, 
I would say cyanide and happiness was definitely the, the biggest one on my radar at that point. Because I feel like cyanide and happiness was like same. It was like around forever. And I feel like I just kind of like kept hearing about it. And I just, I wonder, I wonder how you could, you would get famous back then because you didn't have social media. So like, I, how, yeah. how, did, you, how did you get people to look at web comics back then? <laughs> well, I know for sure with me, it was like two main sources, Reddit was a big one you'd go to reddit to try to drive traffic to your website so you'd like post a comic and then include a link to your site and be like if you want to see more of these go to poorlydrawnlines.com and that was reddit was around when this was when i was like oh gosh that must have been 2009 2010 i know it was around then but i didn't really start posting there until like 2012 probably Mm. no that's oh. not true i started posting there in college so that must have been 2010 okay yeah yeah so it was around and it was a a resource for web cartoonists to like get eyes on their work basically there was that and then there was a thing that doesn't even exist anymore i'm sure called stumble upon which would like send you to a random fun website on the internet yes <gasps> i used to use that yeah there. and i used to get i used to have specific comics would be linked on stumble upon and then people would discover my work that way so i i back then i was monitoring like google analytics really heavily and trying to see where my traffic was coming from oh my gosh remember that google An analytics back yeah. when back in the blogger days did you use blogger i never used blogger i went straight from i really just went straight to building my own website so i actually started my comic in my college newspaper it was like a weekly black and white strip in print. And then I started to discover web comics around that time. I think I actually I'm pretty sure like Perry Bible Fellowship and White Ninja Comics were the ones that finally pushed me to put my stuff online. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I was a fan of White Ninja. Um I, I, I never know like it it, it it all gets kind of fuzzy like when different um comics started. So I wasn't sure mm -hmm. if that was around the time when you started to, if you had, if they were like sort of your peers back then, I guess. Yeah, they were like my peers. I definitely looked up to them and there was a time when I was trying to figure out how to do this full time where I was just obsessively Googling other cartoonists to try to figure out, like find interviews with them talking about how they made money um, oh. or like figure out which ones were able to do it as a job. And I just tried to emulate that as best as possible. Can you share the fruits of your labor? Did you find that? anything? Did you find any yeah, answers? I think, actually, I still specifically remember some of the most informative stuff I found was um, Zach Wienersmith of Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal had done a couple of really in-depth interviews talking about how he made money from merchandise and advertising on his website. And so I started doing exactly that, basically. And oh. yeah, it eventually paid off for me. What was your go-to merchandise? What was, what do you feel um, was? It was, like... it's always been prints has been like my biggest merch. I like doing prints because they don't take up a lot of space and yeah. they're cheap to mail because it's just a flat envelope. Yeah. And I also like the idea that it's basically just a physical version of the comic instead of slapping it on like a piece of merchandise, like a mug or a t-shirt or something, something mm -hmm. you can hang on your wall and look at. But I do now make mugs and t-shirts, but to start with, it was easiest to just make prints. I, I Especially yeah. because I used to um, 
mail it and ship everything myself like carry it all to the post office on my lunch breaks dude that sucks i feel like the <laughs> post office like i know because i'm trying to do what you're doing and i'm like yeah. back when i was in paris that was not a problem you could probably mm -hmm. find a post office anywhere within a 10 minute walking distance maximum in la it sucks ass it's so bad yeah. it's like the yeah, lines it's not are great yeah here's the thing though i love the post office and i, I yeah. love the u.s postal service and i, I do, have yeah. I, because i spent so many years hand mailing all of my merchandise in all of the different neighborhoods and cities i lived in i got to visit a lot of different post offices and oh. obviously i had to there was a long wait to most of them if you went at the wrong time but i i'm just always very charmed by like the kind of buildings they're in and just the general atmosphere of the post office I agree with that part of it. I guess when I say it sucks, it's just that it's like you said, sometimes the lines are crazy. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, it takes forever. There's not a ton of them, but there is, yeah, there's charm to it. Like hundred percent. When I go to the post office, it kind of reminds me of that golden apple episode of the this american life right you know like that episode where they're at the diner for 24 hours and they're kind of like uh -huh. chronicling the life the american life in a diner kind of reminds me of that um, yeah but uh that's so funny and so you said that you used to do that what do you I do used now? to do that <laughs> and then it got to the point where i was selling so much merchandise that it was becoming almost a full-time job Ooh. and so then i I started using like a print on demand service Oh, nice! that basically prints and ships everything for me. And I can just uh, create the designs myself and then sell them through a Shopify storefront, which gives me more time to draw. Totally. Yeah. Like that's so smart. When do you, well, I guess what was the turn of events? Did you feel like you were like, Oh, I'm going to use this service because I've heard of it and it's going to pay off in the long run. Or were you just like, I'm so overwhelmed. I need a solution. Like, you know? Well, I was getting to the point where my, um, my labor hours were like the amount of work that I could put into it was creating like an artificial cap on how much I could sell. Mm. So by outsourcing it, I basically, um, I made it so I could sell as much as I wanted, basically. So I don't have to maintain inventory or anything anymore. Right. Um, I don't have to like guess how many of any piece of merchandise is gonna sell. So I can just put things out there and I'll sell, if I sell five, great. If I sell 500, even better. But it's like, it doesn't make a difference to my day-to-day -day operations basically, yeah. which is nice. Um, so yeah, it was like, now I can I can sell at scale instead of just selling like what I think is going to sell. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And it mm. was just so many hours freed up for me to concentrate on like actual creative pursuits. What's your, you know, we're talking about like you freeing up time for um, creative pursuits. Uh, what's a typical like day like for you? If you have a typical day, like kind of, mm -hmm. um, can you tell us what your, do you spend more time on making comics do you, or do you like, how do you kind of plan your work day or, you know, cause you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're hundred percent indie, right? Yeah. So yeah, I usually try to get my day started pretty early. I try to be in my studio by like eight or nine. 
-hmm. And yeah, I'll typically start by writing comic ideas, like in a, um, usually like an Apple notes window. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll just like type out a bunch of loose ideas and hopefully I'll come up with something. And then, uh, I'll start drawing and spend a few hours actually drawing comics. And then I'll like schedule comics. I will plan out merchandise pushes. Um, and then when I'm not doing that, I'll be working on like, um, outside stuff like book and TV pitches. Wow. That's so crazy. That's so productive. <laughs> so all of that is, is so like, I mean, I know I've asked a typical day. I'm sure like that kind of fluctuates from a day to another. But yeah. Like... That's like a, that's like an ideal day where I'm being incredibly okay. productive. So sometimes I'll do like half of that or a quarter of that. I was sometimes like, I'll just draw. No, sometimes I'll just draw a comic and I'll be like, I'm spent. I'm going home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got me worried. I was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> This man is a machine. Stop him. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was great. And then That's... I've been, um, for many years, I, I would draw my comics like the day before I'd post them or or a lot of times like the day of, I'd wake up and draw, draw something in the morning and then post it and just come up with the idea and the art and everything right there, like in a three or four hour span. And lately um, I've been making an effort to work like way ahead of schedule so in the past year or so i've been able to get like four or five comics ahead of schedule so i'm working like two or three weeks in advance sometimes which is really nice takes what? a lot of pressure off of me yeah that's the dream i feel like that's yeah. oh man you know like on my to-do list i always have plan out your comic updates this mm -hmm. box never gets checked <laughs> yeah it's really it. tough yeah it's tough to get in the like right now i'm only a few ahead i would i ideally being like two weeks ahead is a really nice cushion where i don't feel too stressed out and i feel like i have a good uh backlog built up do you, um i for, like i forgot how often do you update like um, um i've been doing monday wednesday friday for okay. years yeah that was just kind of the that monday wednesday friday and Tuesday, Thursday were like the two options for how often to post as a web cartoonist at one point, like in the early 2010s. Mm. I, I don't remember. There was just like a few big web comics had kind of established mm -hmm. that routine. You did mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. So I decided Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Now, what's your uh, writing process like? Like, uh, do you have certain things that you do where you know ideas, will, more ideas will come easier? Or is it more of a, like, I sit down at my desk and, like, ideas got to come? Like, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, I kind of fluctuate. It's really nice when an idea just pops into my head. It's even cooler when I have an idea in my sleep or like I dream something. <laughs> Wait, um, have you done that? Have you like dreamt yeah. an idea? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, like I, for a while early on, my writing process was I would um, take a nap. And as I was drifting off, I'd be like running a bunch of weird abstract words and sentences through my head. And then I'd come up with a comic doing that. That's so good. Dude, that is, okay. You know what's crazy? Okay, so for longtime listeners of Creative Block, you have heard me say this before, but that is literally how, how Salvador Dali came up with ideas for his paintings. Oh, really? He would literally sit on his chair with, like, he would hold a key or, like, a an object in his hand that was um, um, heavy enough that when he would 
drift off to like he, he would uh doze off like it would fall from his hand from you know mm-hmm. the muscles relaxing hit the floor and like uh, jolt him up yeah. so that he remembered all of the like crazy surrealistic ideas that you get mm-hmm. when you're like in between the two stages so you modern dally <laughs> <laughs> yeah it honestly works the modern day version of that is is looking at your phone and you fall asleep and it yeah. falls on your face. Yes. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, it's um it's it works. I still do it sometimes. I should probably do it more actually. It because it's really it's a weird little headspace to be in, like half yeah. awake, half asleep. Yeah. Um, do you do you ever feel like you have to credit your dream self? Like like I'm gonna <laughs> your your dream self needs to get a separate credit and big thanks to dream me. Yeah, though my dream self is definitely gonna <laughs> sue me for copyright infringement one of these days. I'm expecting an invoice. Yeah. He's gonna send um, an invoice through USPS. But that's <laughs> so that's like what's one cool and kind of ideal way to do it is just like ideas coming through the ether like that. But for the most part, I've found that it's important to not wait for inspiration and to actually just sit down and try to come up with ideas and treat it like actual work. Yeah. So I try to do like a healthy balance of, you know, creative inspiration strikes and also like forcing myself to come up with ideas. I feel like that's the, who says that? Is it um, uh, Stephen King? I think he, that's the way he says that's what makes a professional writer is like mm-hmm. just sit down and do it <laughs> and it can be hard it's like yeah. I mean if it was if it was easy you know I don't know we'd all be yeah much more productive it's hard <laughs> to come up with ideas that are that you like and that appeal to enough people to like support you continuing to do it how often do you have an idea for something, but you're not sure what the angle is yet? And like, you just keep it in the bank for a while. And then you like, yeah, I don't know, like two, two years later, you like, you come across that sketch and you're like, oh, I know how, I know how to pay this off now. Does that ever yeah. happen? Do you have like backlogs of? It does. It's mostly, so my comics are obviously very like dialogue heavy, lots of words. I mean, I, they're, not lots of words they're pretty like uh terse and uh like short and quippy but they are like word forward um dialogue forward so most of my ideas that i like discard and come back to are just like sentences that i never finished or half of a dialogue pane or something Mm -hmm. and i keep them all in i think i mentioned the the notes app on my phone slash computer and sometimes I'll just go back through them and see what I have there. Man, shout out to Notes app. There's so many writers that we come across that are, that that yeah. get so much get so much. Yeah, use. I've tried other things, but it's just it's the native app on the phone, and it yeah. just works. And it's the it has folders, so you can organize pretty easily. It That's has the Apple version, right? You're an Apple guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It has like just enough features to do what I need, and not too many that it becomes overly complicated. And it's available on all of my devices because I draw on my iPad as well. So I can just pull up the notes out there if I need to. We need to get an Apple sponsorship for this episode. I know sometimes (laughs) I'm hesitant to be like, and then I use Procreate on my iPad because like, I don't think y'all are getting paid for it or anything. And then I got hungry and and I ordered, I I started making my HelloFresh. Yeah, HelloFresh. 
in my mind. Is that a HelloFresh ad coming up? <laughs> that would be so <laughs> funny. I honestly, I wish, I think, uh, I mean, I guess this is like late stage capitalism humor, but I think it would be really mm. funny to have an episode that is just like product placement after product placement. That would be funny. Trying yeah. to work it into the interview. Yeah, oh, and did I mention that I have my, um, I have my inspiration dreams on a Casper mattress? <laughs> and and every time my inspiration dreams are so scary that i pee myself i use adult casper's diapers <laughs> i use adult pampers to catch every drip but, but i wash off real nice with um mrs mayor's <laughs> clean house product. yeah 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 it's, it's just, just like, like a whole yeah. story. just the whole story after, one after another but um just hand soap <laughs> yeah, just that. So, yeah, you got to keep it natural. Most uh, on Squarespace. <laughs> Squarespace. I think, okay, I think what's also really cool and inspiring uh, with your career is that you've been doing this since um, 2010, approximately, mm. and now we're in 2023, and this is still your career. You're still doing this, even though yes. you went through crazy changes in the internet landscape because you used you mm -hmm. had your website um do you still use google analytics uh do you like what are you doing no, now I don't. Your I <laughs> so i've really just yeah I, i've always made an effort to adapt and kind of adopt whatever platform is becoming popular um mm -hmm. and i i've had the good fortune of comics being able to adapt fairly well to all of the platforms that we've had so far Probably mm -hmm. the trickiest one so far has been TikTok because it's video based. Um, but just uh, I I am partial to TikTok now, even mm -hmm. though it's very invasive and grabs all your data. So um, kids out there, well, they know. But uh, now you can do the slideshow. Now you can do the slideshow on TikTok, and that's it what really, I've been really doing. Well. Yeah, and I've also been trying out the Instagram Reel slideshows, and mm -hmm. they're actually really fun to make. So I've been having fun with that. Wait, the real slideshows yeah. on Instagram? Wait, you yeah. have to tell us about that. <laughs> it's is... the same. It's the same exact thing as on TikTok. It's just you can upload multiple images, and it displays as a a slideshow, and you can set the duration of each slide. Okay, so that's different from the carousel that we have, right? You have correct. It actually it plays <gasps> in the reels tab. What? And you can't You can't slide through the panels with your finger. It just goes automatically. That's okay. Sponsored by Instagram. Sponsored by Meta. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've tried that. I have a buddy, um, I'm gonna try to get him on the podcast eventually, Tunehole Chris. Uh, and we talk about this stuff all the time. We're like, how do I you know Tunehole Chris? You know him? Oh nice. Yeah, we've been following he's also been in the webcomic game since like I don't know. Forever. Since I have. So we've been right. following each other for like over a decade, probably. You guys need to talk because um everybody mm -hmm. on Creative Block is like listening to this little conversation right now. <laughs> but, yeah. No, you guys need to talk because I think uh like he and I we're trying to figure out how to do what you do, which uh -huh. is like like the prints and like how to you know uh go indie and like really spend more time making comics and you know because uh, I think yeah I think like like it's crazy because. Like for me, I mean, I, I haven't been making comics for as long as you have. Obviously, you've been making comics for a long time and you've been consistent for 10 years, which is crazy. You've been posting three times a week for 10 years. 
Yeah, there's been some days, sometimes where I'll take a couple weeks off or I'll post like one or two comics instead of three. But yeah, for the most part. So that's been my goal. Yeah, that's like, yeah, like that's obviously paid off because you're, you're, Mm -hmm. you have this backlog. And I feel like consistency is kind of the key, right? In the webcomics game. That's the only thing I've ever found to be true across whether it was on, you know, in the website days or live journal or now on social media apps, consistency is really the only thing that matters. And obviously you gotta have quality and something like a product that people wanna read as well. But yeah, I I think a lot of that also comes with consistency because consistency equals practice. Yeah, exactly. Cause I feel, cause that's kind of, it's funny. Cause when we were talking business, I was like, you know, you were just talking about like doing prints and stuff, but it's like, those Mm -hmm. are also things that people want to buy because they're good like you i like your comics are always funny like there's not never one comic that you've posted that i was just, that i didn't think was funny Thank um you. <laughs> i don't think all of them are funny so that's nice to hear. really that's so funny. <laughs> well no i do but i like i i like anything i post it's i have liked it enough to post it okay but i definitely go through waves where i don't feel like super confident about everything that i make especially when something performs numerically way better than the next thing you know how do you deal with that that's really hard i kind of went through that it is hard with a comic where it's like one of them suddenly went viral and i'm like i made it and then but i know i know that it's just like it's a wave and it's gonna come down and i have to be okay with it coming down so i was just like bracing for when like the numbers go down but like how do you deal with the mental health aspect of that because it's kind of crazy Um, Often you can check numbers, yeah. 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 Often I don't deal with it well. It can be difficult, you know. Um, I think I've been doing it for so long now that I'm I'm a little bit like um immune to it in some ways. Mm-hmm. But there is still yeah, it's difficult when your work is like automatically kind of sized up to the number of likes that it gets. Um, and I think this is something, I know this is something that every like quote unquote content creator deals with on the internet, no matter what they're doing, comics or TikTok videos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there is definitely like a, y- you kind of are challenging yourself to perform as well as your last highest performing piece of work. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to not have to think about that and to just create work that feels good to you. Um which I think ideally is what people are doing anyway. And, you know, if it gets a a million likes or if it gets like 40 likes, it's as long as you're happy with what you made, then that's good. And you're practicing and you're developing your style more. Do you you have a good example of like an unsung hero of one of your strips in your mind that you know, you're like, man, this should have done better. This is like my favorite one that never blew up. Do Do you have one of those? Um... Oh man, I've done, I've done probably like, I don't know, 3000 comics at this point, but it's, they all just kind of blend together. But I can think of one I did like last week. I did one where it was with a a snail and a snake and the snake is like looking for his friend and the snail asks what does, like the snake says he's looking for his friend who's also a snake and the snail is like, what does your friend look like? And the snake just says long, long and narrow, which I thought was like, I was laughing my ass off at that, like while I was writing it. Yeah, Yeah, just describing a snake. I was like, this is great. This is going to do so well. And I put it out there and it was like, 
one of my worst performing comics of the year. <laughs> so, so this is the juice I'm talking about. This is this is yeah. what I want. Because so I I'm feel like, like that, yeah, that yeah. very literal snake is the current unsung hero of my like month. <laughs> the underdog. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like we do go through that sometimes as storyboard artists when you're like expected to pitch jokes and mm. you like write a joke and you're like, wow, this is so funny. I can't wait to pitch it to all the guys and you pitch it and crickets. But then the other thing that you were just like, this is just a filler. It like gets like, ro- like roaring laughters. And then you're just like, I'm so misunderstood. What yeah. I, you know, like Nobody understands me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah usually totally. it's the difference in between like, writing something that you feel is clever versus like what elicits like a belly laugh. Like, like, like half the time, like a, I feel like a, a, a pretty immature thing that most people can relate to ends up making more people laugh than like a, a really clever thing that you took. You're like, I put this together like a puzzle and mm-hmm. it's, it's all crafted and it's weave woven together and it comes together in this punchline, you know? Um, what do you think? does the best as far as like like making a uh making a funny well-crafted comic and punchline well i think there's a there's a couple of different like types of jokes that you can do the ones that i really like to do and that i'm most proud of are the ones that are like absurd and surreal and unexpected so and i think in that the the formula if there is a formula is generally like um it's like two known values adding up to an unexpected value or something mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is where our humor becomes very abstract mm. so it's like making connections where other people can't see them between two things that feel familiar or a few things that feel familiar to come up with something completely unexpected and unexpectedness i think is what gives people those belly laughs in a lot of cases um, and then another type of joke that is I would say a little bit easier to predict when it's going to do well are like relatable kind of jokes, mm-hmm. um, like a joke about having a bad day or like feeling anxious or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could typically know when one of those is going to perform pretty well. Cause I, it's like, it'll be something that I'm like feeling that day or like mm-hmm. a worry or piece of stress that I have that I translate into um, a piece of dialogue that I think is funny. And I can generally know how well one of those is going to do. But it's the more abstract jokes, like a snake describing a snake, that I'm I can be like very hit or miss. I do feel like it's funny that you say that because it is true. Your humor is very like unexpected and like a little dry, um, mm-hmm. but it's like very specific. And I and it I think I mean that's also kind of what makes your comic stand out, right? It's like like you like like you have it's not just the style in terms of the drawing style it's also like your your writing style is very specific um Mm -hmm. do you feel like you how did you kind of craft your style how did you refine your writing um through the years so i think style is a combination of a person's influences and their own imagination. So style comes about from studying other artists that you like, Mm -hmm. and in some cases trying to like directly emulate their style Mm -hmm. and then putting your own spin on it, which 
you know, your imagination is like partly inherent and partly like an accumulation of everything you've read and watched and learned in your entire life, basically. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I think it's really important to like absorb as much of your favorite artists and writers and filmmakers as you can, because mm -hmm. those like style cues kind of stick in your brain subconsciously and then they can come out in the most unexpected ways and translate to something that amalgamates to your own style or voice. That's a good, um, a good moment to ask you, uh, who are your favorite writers and artists, filmmakers, et cetera? Like what, what mm -hmm. would you say are your biggest influences? I'd say in cartooning, some of my big, like my first big influence was Matt Groening's Life in Hell. Mm. Um, the creator of The Simpsons, for those who don't know, did a uh, weekly comic strip before he created The Simpsons. Mm. And my high school English teacher gave me a book of Matt Groening's Life in Hell comics. And that was what led me to draw my first comic for my high school newspaper. Um, and yeah, early on, I was very much trying to kind of like emulate his style, but through the eyes of a high school student. Mm -hmm. And then later when I discovered web comics, um, comics like uh, Pictures for Sad Children, uh, mm -hmm. White Ninja Comics, Hark of Vagrant. Mm. Um, what else early on? Oh, and Perry Bible Fellowship. Like those are mm. probably some of my top favorites right there. Mm. Um, and reading those, I kind of got a sense of like what an internet comic could be mm -hmm. and the kind of topics you could cover and like the surreal type of humor that you could use. Um, I also read a lot growing up, a lot of sci-fi and fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, I, as a young adult, I was into Kurt Vonnegut, who also has a very dry mm -hmm. style of humor. Yep. Um, and then I love Wes Anderson movies. And especially when I was like a teenager, I would just absorb as much Wes Anderson as I could. And there's also like a, a dry kind of surreal style to his humor and writing that, um, that I try to emulate a lot. I, that's really funny. Because um, when you say all of these things, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Is that something that you've used um like your influences when you're kind of like crafting pitches for 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 books or for um tv shows because you said you were kind of working on that on the side so how mm. do you go about crafting a pitch and like do you use your influences do you use a lot of your work how how's that process for you um it's well i guess at that point it's really just trying to pitch something original mm -hmm. um I mean, it's, I guess in certain pitches, it's nice to be to be able to say something like, this is like X, Y, and Z show, but combined with this other influence. Mm -hmm. um, and I, can't, I guess I haven't quite done that. Yeah, so I don't really think that my I am specifically naming my influences when I'm coming up with pitches. It's more like I'm just trying to come up with something original and uh, unique to my style. That's good which to hear. With, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, because I feel like, I don't know, being in the studio space, I feel like often I'm asked, like, well, what is this like? And I'm, like, trying mm -hmm. to pull from my brain, like, oh, like, what is, <laughs> what are the two big names that I can put together for the executive yeah. to see in their brain how it's the same but different? Uh, it's kind of cool to hear that you didn't do that. And actually, can you run us through 
how you started pitching TV shows or like for TV, like your mm-hmm. whole process of like from you being by yourself to like, who did you reach out to first? Well, so I, my first representation was my literary agent. Mm. So I, this was, I had been doing comics full time for like two years at this point, And I had mm. a bunch of stuff online and an editor at Penguin mm. found my work and reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing a book. Mm. So that was kind of like a combination of getting lucky and just putting so much work out there on a consistent basis that uh, that kind of lucky opportunity came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I did a couple of books and then my literary agent suggested uh, putting me in touch with a, a manager in LA who could kind of represent me in any like TV and film work I might want to do. And so I was put in touch with a management company here in LA. And then they basically instructed me on how to put together a pitch. Um, They paired me up with a production company and then we took poorly drawn lines as an animated series out to pitch and pitched to like pretty much every network. in like a two or three day period, just a bunch of meetings lined up. And wow. then our last meeting, yeah. And then our last meeting was with FX and FX was the one who bought it. That's crazy. Wait, was that the last yeah. pitch? Yeah, it was, was my last meeting. Wow, that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's really, Thanks. That's really sick. Um, yeah, I that know. was, um, when was that? That was 2017, 2018. It was a while ago at this point. Yeah, it's so crazy. I feel like how so kind of can you explain a little bit like to us and our audience like what's the difference between a management company and a production company? Um that's a really good question. I don't totally understand myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well the production the company has the producers. And the producers are typically the people who actually work on the project and kind of go back and forth between like executives and um, the creatives. Mm-hmm. So like if I had something, an idea or something that I needed to say to the executives, I would usually go to my producer and then my producer would take it to the executives. Um, or if there were notes coming back on a script, it would go to my producer first and then he'd give it to me, I'm pretty sure. Um, producers are like the most important behind the scenes people I feel like in a lot of ways like no one really understands what they do but we'd be like dead (laughs) in the water without them (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool because I feel like you um, because you come from web comics and you've had this show and but you you wrote all of the episodes right it like yeah and uh, did you have a writer's room or were you just on your own no, it was just me in my living room. That was the writer's room. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's so crazy. That's yeah. so crazy. It was, um, yes, I wrote 10 quarter hour episodes. That's... And it was it was a real crash course in, in screenwriting because I hadn't done a whole lot of it before that. I had had like a couple of my comics or a handful of them adapted to another animated show that aired a long time ago called Trip Tank. Mm-hmm. for which I, mm-hmm. I just adapted the comic dialogue to script format but this was my first time actually writing like full original teleplays so this is wild they trusted they they trusted you to write these i mean 
knowing how studios work a lot of the times like they'll be like okay you haven't like written a show before we're gonna attach mm -hmm. like a a writer who's used to doing that with you or like get a writer's room going how did you how did you convince that i mean were, was there never any talk of it, it? wasn't was it just a, always like i'm gonna write it no that was just that was what they wanted i guess um yeah it wasn't like a negotiation you. or anything um i think it was because i'm not sure maybe they were unsure of what they were doing with it or yeah I, this is all just conjecture on my part i don't know you there's i mean i i think in an ideal world if i made a show again i'd love to have like a partner or a writer's room yeah. um because it can be difficult to come up with like all those ideas on your own uh, it was it was really fun and fulfilling and interesting and i'm glad i did it and i got a lot of practice from it um but it would be cool to work with a bigger team that could like bounce ideas around and come up with concepts and stuff that is so, so that's what i yeah. would be aiming for if i if i got to do another one do can you do you know so this is like the million dollar question do you mm -hmm. uh do you know what the budget was do you know how much uh money you guys um had to make the show approximately i I have like a rough idea in my head, but I'm actually not sure if I'm supposed to like talk about it. Okay. I don't know. Totally fine. Is that, totally yeah, cool. just in case. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Usually numbers are like a little hush hush. So that's so. I, cool. It was definitely not like House of Dragon money or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like. No, because I mean. It was a very small, like, I think fairly cheap animated series, like <laughs> quick and cheap to make, basically. But that's kind of what it is, though. I feel like. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's always what i hear like like that's kind of like the trend like for example at disney when they were making pocahontas versus the lion king nobody gave a shit about the lion king no money uh, everybody was like scrutinizing pocahontas and which one's like the one that made that was success was lion king because like there was mm -hmm. less oversight it was more creative and same thing with mm -hmm. spongebob i just learned recently spongebob and cat and cat dog uh, were happening at the same time and everybody was paying a lot of attention to cat dog and and spongebob was kind of like on the side and oh, like I think a little bit less money a little bit less oversight and so it got to be a little bit more um but yeah like uh and i feel that's kind of how you have like this really cool interest like very because like your show party John line is it like it doesn't look like any other show out there and i think that's like what's really cool it's your style and it's you mm -hmm. and it's kind of like um like um uh smiling friends right where it's like it's like it's an a tour did that and i think mm -hmm. that can usually only happen if there's like less money because then there's like less oversight it's like less you know there's like, like a, it, one voice that's controlling yeah most of it and and you're able v was just trying to figure out whether you were getting paid nine writers salaries and you were like no there's a budget <laughs> to have a writer's room i was just you know, i think the reason why i asked this question is like it's not like it's it's i'm, I'm not trying to you know uh extort <laughs> information it's just i like I for the audience I think it's always kind of interesting if they can hear and understand a little bit like the behind the scene unfortunately like you said like with all the contracts yeah. and the legal side of it a lot of the time we can't say these numbers so mm -hmm. it's just but um sometimes I feel like for people listening you can kind of like do a little bit of like sleuthing on Google it's not going to be exact but it's kind of going to give a, a ballpark I think it's interesting to kind of pay attention to that because I feel like sometimes um, people assume every show has the same budget budget, and it's not the case, you know? Like, no, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. 
um, and like different production companies, different channels. Will, you know, yeah. And it, it'll influence how the show's made too. You'll have something yes. that's made at like Adult Swim that usually will have a little bit less oversight, but yeah. the budgets are much smaller and the turnaround times are very quick as a team. Yeah. Um, mm. And yeah, I, th I think it all just depends on what type of to what type of show it is how how much they um uh how much of a quote-unquote guarantee it is for them like if they if they have like a, a, a huge crazy cast the, the, it'll probably be more money but the, uh it fluctuates pretty vastly i think yeah i would guess that voice talent probably is like the one of the biggest pieces of a budget these days especially because there's there's an emphasis on getting like big actors now to do voices mm-hmm that's funny because I feel like the studio, I don't know. This is me speculating, everyone. Don't like go to Twitter with what I'm about to say. But um, I think the studios hope the voice actors' uh, clout is going to help do the marketing for them. I think that's what it is. And yeah. um, But sometimes, like, like you don't you might not get the performance you want because you're mm -hmm. you're you know like it's like a marketing versus performance and i don't know um i guess sort of related but um when you so you were writing all of the episodes which once again <laughs> is pretty crazy uh were you what other parts of the show were you overseeing were you overseeing like the art were you also like in records like can you tell us a little bit about yeah. all of the different roles you were doing production yeah. yeah so yeah writing all the scripts i did the all of the main cast character designs like mm -hmm. the initial character designs and then the artists took those and turned them into what do you call it when you see a character from like three different angles or whatever like the mm -hmm. main angles you're going to use them from turn around like a turn around turn around yeah yeah so then the artist took my designs and turned them into like full turnarounds of every character um and then i also probably my most time consuming thing outside of writing the scripts was going through every stage of the animation from storyboard to animatic to on and on and on and giving notes on every stage um and maybe you use this program too. I think it's called Frame, where you can hmm. upload an animated video and then give notes like second by second, basically. Mm -hmm. So I could be like, make this character, like pause on this character's face for emphasis a little bit longer or something. So it'd be notes like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was in the records as well. I, I did the casting too, like went through a bunch of audition tapes and tried to find uh, the actors that I liked. And then I was in all of the records. Um, I basically got to sit alongside the director and kind of learn from him. Mm. And he would turn to me after every take and ask if there's anything that I wanted to do differently or try a take some, oh, um, awesome. in a different way. Yeah. So yeah, really I, I was like very yeah. involved and it was, I really feel like I got to see and be a part of every step of the making the show apart from actually animating things, which is where the pro animators came in yeah uh, did you receive any uh like uh pressure when casting to to go uh sort of more celebrity route or like no this per like you liked somebody and the, uh, they're not big enough like that sort of thing no i think that the producer my 
or my director floated a few names for characters and I really liked them. Um, and so it was generally pretty, I mean, there were a couple of characters that we had to listen to a lot of tapes for, but for the most part, it was like, um, a name would come up in a room and we'd all be like, oh yeah, they'd be perfect. What was your favorite part of the, uh, of, of the process? Like what, what part did you feel the most joy in, in creating this thing, seeing it come to life? Um, I guess the coolest part is when you like a few rounds of notes in when the episode is really coming together and the jokes are flowing. Um, and then it's really cool to see like a scene come together the way that you pictured it in your head when you're writing it. That's awesome. Yeah. And also, um, overall, what I loved the most about working in animation was that I got to take some of the bigger ideas that I have for like scenarios and characters that I wouldn't normally draw into the comic and mm. I basically just got to let my imagination run wild because I had a whole team of animators that could bring anything that I put on paper to life so it was like very um freeing in some way do you feel like the stuff you can't do in comics is it because the the story is too big or is it um because uh it doesn't fit in the format of the like webcomic yeah it can be harder to fit it in the format um and also i my art style is like i'm i'm not a traditionally trained artist or anything my style mm -hmm. is very much like adapted to my style of writing mm -hmm. it's like a relatively simple straightforward style that i came up with as a non-artist to make art mm -hmm. um and so working with artists who are like traditionally trained and more talented than me visually was really cool because I could be like, you know, make a dragon and a robot fighting in the sky for 20 minutes, <laughs> which is something I probably wouldn't draw into the webcomic myself. <laughs> that's so And funny. that was an, actually an episode. Wow. That's so crazy. When, when you wrote that, were you, did you write it because you're like, I can do this now? Or did you like, Were, were you like oh no this makes sense that it leads this way like like i was really with that one i was like pushing for spectacle i was like what's the oh. biggest <laughs> most spectacular thing that we can do in this episode and it was like a big you know like mech robot dragon fight basically yeah it was like the things i saw in cartoons as a kid and finally yeah. i was able to like create that scene myself did you ever run into any um uh like interesting notes from standards and practices and legal that's like you can't do that and like have to like problem solve something would you have any funny like yeah there was, stories there's um you know when you're trying to come up with like a fake product name mm. this is something i didn't realize you can't just use anything you want they run yeah. it through like a, a database to make sure that the show doesn't get sued mm -hmm. so i think there was there was a, a brand of potato chips I forget what the name was. They were called like spectacular chips or something like that. And we ended up having to use fantabulous chips. I, I can't remember exactly anymore, but <laughs> basically the, the chip brand was already taken. Um, also the robot in that dragon versus robot episode that I mentioned was, mm -hmm. was called Trabato. <laughs> and uh, it turns out there was some like toy called Trabato, <laughs> but I had actually written Trabato as a character in the webcomic before the toy came out. So <gasps> we were able to use the name. Loop-de-loop. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. that's 
so funny. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone start writing your ideas and posting them on Instagram right now and you get your copyright that way. <laughs> but then as far as, I guess standards and practices probably refers more to like, um, like vulgarity and censorship or something. Mm -hmm. I def I didn't have any like- I think it's both. It's a little okay. bit of both. Yeah, I didn't have any like South Park moments where a joke was like too edgy or something to make it into the script and we had to cut it back. Um, yeah, because that's like just not really my style of humor. Yeah, you're technically also like YA adult, right? You're like, I feel like an adult, like you, in order for S&P to flag something, you have to go really insane. Uh, like, yeah. Like yeah, I do. I do write more for adults, but my stuff is not, I, I guess I don't have a lot of like, yeah. um, I don't know, super over the top, like sex jokes or anything like that, that would be flagged. Yeah. It's yeah. generally, I'm, I'm just writing stuff that, um, I don't know, that I think is funny. And that's what I think is funny. Like surreal moments and wordplay and dry mm -hmm. humor. I like when you talked about your style of drawing is adapted to your writing. And I kind of want to like, uh, I'm going to ask you about school a little bit because uh, I want to know uh, if you went to college, what did you study? uh did it have mm -hmm. anything to do with art or writing no so i i did go to college and i studied political science and international relations because wow. i was um i thought i wanted to be a lawyer or a journalist through college mm. and then um but i i was drawing comics for my school newspaper mm -hmm. and i was also like a news writer editor um for my college newspaper as well. So I was like heavily involved in the college newspaper and I got to do a weekly comic strip called Poorly Drawn Lines. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so the whole time I was in school studying political science, I was also basically like in practice being a newspaper cartoonist and student journalist. And I guess that's, uh, I ended up wanting to pursue my creative interests more than either law or journalism. And that's what I decided to do when I graduated. I just moved to LA and got like the first writing adjacent job I could find, which was as a editorial assistant at a media company, like writing and editing articles for various websites mm. um, about a variety of topics. And the whole time I was doing that on the side, I was drawing poorly drawn lines and uploading it to my website. And as I mentioned earlier, obsessively reading about the career tracks of other cartoonists and trying to figure out how I could do this full time. I, this is so smart. I wish I had had that insight that you, I like that you were business oriented, like a little bit, you know, like you're, mm -hmm. you're very creative, obviously, but you didn't lose track of like the business side of it because you were, so you were, you were pursuing your creative endeavor the whole time um, when you were in college while you started your first gig and kind of, I, on a timeline when were you when in your life were you able to do comics full-time after how many years of working um let's see I graduated college when I was 22 and I was able to go full-time with comics when I was 25 wow that's so cool yeah that is so cool yeah it was cool and um by my financial goal at that point was just to be making as much or more than I was making at my very low paying editorial assistant job. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, it wasn't easy to hit that number, but it wasn't that hard either. <laughs> no, but it's still like, I mean, it's still like a decent, you know, like you still had to be able to pay rent in LA, which is like not mm -hmm. a small feat, you know? Yeah. And then, um, and then I still, for a couple of years after I went full time, I was like wondering if this could really last and how I could make a lasting career out of it. And then I think it actually felt real and possible when I got my first book deal. Oh, like yeah. with a with a major publisher, and then it started to feel like legit in some ways. And how long did that um how long did that take for that to come about? I think I was twenty six when I got my first book deal, and like twenty seven when the book came out. Mm. And then that first book was a New York Times bestseller, which was like another like validating experience where right. I was like, okay, yeah, I can really do this as a career. That is so cool. I wonder, mm -hmm. okay, this is my little like gremlin brain where I'm like, sometimes I see some books that are like New York Times bestsellers and I'm like, um, did they, I'm, and I'm like, I think they got a PR push. Did you feel like yeah. you had to, did you get like, did you hire someone to do PR or were you like just already so big that it was just like, boom? Well, Penguin has their own, like most big publishers have their own PR teams, but mm -hmm. it was really, um, what pushed it onto the list was the online pre-orders, mm. which came from just my, I think I already had like a few hundred thousand followers on Facebook at that point. And so mm. it was just probably by virtue of my social media following that a lot of people pre-ordered the book. Did you do like a full campaign? Like how often do you do like um, a push for your merch and or books? Like, is it like more of a weekly thing, a daily thing? Like the books, I will do a push like every few months. I probably should push them more. Um, but if, if I don't want to like, it feels like it can be repetitive or something. It'd be like, mm. buy these four books over and over again. Yeah. Because um, I, <laughs> I have four books now. But it is yeah. nice to remind people sometimes because there's new people joining mm -hmm. like the fan base all the time. And so it's nice to remind them that there actually are books that you can own. Um, merchandise, I try to do at least one merch push a week. Mm. Sometimes it'll be like three a month. Yeah. And again, I don't want to like overwhelm people with merchandise. And I want the comics and the humor yeah. content to like far outweigh any like business side of things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I try to keep it to like one a week basically. Yeah, that's great. It's like, yeah, I feel like it's not, that's really not too much. And like, how do you kind of, mm -hmm. I'm like, I like getting in the nitty gritty of things. So uh, like, how do you mm -hmm. kind of like, um, think of your like business push? Like, do you try to like hide it behind a comic? Like, or like, do you favor it in stories rather than wall? Like kind of like, what's your thought process? Um, when you come up No, I, I do both. I put them like right on the main feed and also in stories mm. yeah i'm not like uh i think there's a tendency for artists to be bashful about merchandise because it feels like you're a sellout or something yeah but i have rarely if ever gotten like negative feedback from my followers being like you post too much merchandise because <laughs> well, like, they want stuff from you i think that's most the other artists that are jealous or something mm -hmm. yeah maybe and it, it's it's I'd like to think that it's like, oh, they understand that I need to make a living, but I think it's really just people want the stuff. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they want to be able to buy their favorite comic as a print or a, a t-shirt or whatever. And I'm happy to provide it. Yeah, I think it's like, I think you're right. I feel like, because for me, okay, here's the thing. I think also maybe artists, we're a little bit worried that we're going to put out merch and then nobody's going to buy it. And then you're like, oh, 
you know, and that but, happens too. When I yeah. my first attempt at merchandise was I made a bunch of t-shirts with my the original poorly drawn lines logo on it. Like in I don't know, I I think I borrowed like a few hundred dollars from my dad to buy all these t-shirts. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be able to make a huge profit and pay him back easy. Well, and uh I think I sold it took me like four years to sell half of them. Oh. <laughs> they just did not sell. I was like, so I was so stoked. I was convinced that as soon as I put, cause I'd also read, uh, again, I was like obsessively reading interviews with other artists to figure out how to mm -hmm. sell merch. And I had read something like, you can expect like between two and 5% of your followers to actually spend money on something. So I like yeah. calculated how many followers I had. And I was like, oh, perfect. I can sell these 50 t-shirts, no problem. And yeah, I think I still have some somewhere in my parents' garage. <laughs> like, it just did not sell. Um, it it really took me until I had hundreds of thousands of followers to see any kind of meaningful merchandise sales. Okay, that so was, you think it was a follower mm -hmm. number versus the design, for instance? It's just a certain, yeah, I think it, it is. I mean, maybe the design wasn't that good either, come to think of it. It was kind of ugly. <laughs> <laughs> It also made a, a lot more sense to print the comics themselves on merchandise rather than just a logo and the words poorly drawn mm. lines. So, mm. yeah, you know, sometimes merchandise doesn't sell. And it's just like you got to try and fail and test a bunch of things and see what works. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like, yeah, I feel like merch is definitely like kind of hard to crack and I do feel like the books are like kind of the first thing for me at least that's kind of like the first thing that people ask they're like where can I buy the books and, and I've been kind of like holding it back because I, I I don't want I didn't want to like print books too fast but like now I'm like okay I have 200 pages of comics so I can mm -hmm. start making a book when did you feel well I guess your first book did you ever self-publish a book or did you just go uh, straight to Penguin no, just straight to mm -hmm. a publisher. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about self-publishing a book around that time, and then I got the uh, opportunity to pitch something to them. Oh, nice. My great. Which is nice. But now there's, you know, people can use Kickstarter, so it's kind of eliminate some of the risk. Like, you don't mm -hmm. have to invest your own money in the book stock initially. Yeah. So between Kickstarter and, like, print-on-demand services, you can negate a lot of the risk that's involved with investing in merchandise or holding stock basically yeah inventory sucks Ugh. yeah having inventory yeah. is not fun yeah yeah it was yeah i used to do like run it all out of my bedroom and my bedroom was just like stacked with boxes and boxes of prints no so now you've partnered with a shit like a shipping company that helps fulfill the orders is that sort of yeah. how it works now mm -hmm. they print and ship them yeah Who's the company? It's called Printful. Okay. Nice. There's a lot of companies like that. And I guess that was kind of a, I'm hesitant to be like, go use this company because people need oh, to, sure. you know. Yeah. No, it's just like, figure out like, what works for them. It's good to know like that it exists because that was something that I didn't even realize. Like um, I was printing shirts with um, uh, Night Owl in Texas and I didn't realize they're also a fulfillment company like they do mm. shirts and they do prints and they do everything and it's like whoa like mm. 
uh it's really it's 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 really cool like i didn't even know what a fulfillment company was you know what i mean like i didn't even know that yeah. was a term <laughs> that was how it's called <laughs> another term that's used is drop shipping mm. um where they create the merchandise and ship it for you and you just have to design the products basically oh. um and then another thing i like about this company is you can order samples of any piece of merchandise at like a discount so you can you know ensure the quality and stuff before you start selling it to your customers yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. What, what would, so what it's would been you, nice. What would you say um, over over the years, like because you've done this for a long time, uh, what would you say was like the biggest struggle in 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 keeping up with uh, how web comments are being made now, or you know whether it's like social media or or whatever? Did would you say one something was harder than than the next? Um, I remember one internal debate that I had for a while was when social media, like apps and pages were starting to outpace websites as the dominant way that people used the internet and making the decision to just post full comics to social media rather than posting like a preview and then a link to the rest of the comic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think it, it was at that moment where I was like, okay, I was still making a lot of money from banner ads on my website. I was kind of depending on that for income. So it was, I was really worried about no longer pushing traffic to my website because it would mean a loss of income. Mm -hmm. um, but also people were just following outbound links a lot less and were just staying within their apps, like the, yeah. the walled gardens that all the app companies want. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, after a while, it was like the decision was made for me. It was like, okay, if I want people to keep seeing my comics, I might have to take an, a hit in income for a while um, until I can kind of build up the audience and figure out another way to monetize like Instagram or Facebook, for instance. Uh, how did, yeah, how did you monetize these? Because I feel like it's like, like I've tried the reels a little bit and you can make mm -hmm. a little bit of money, but you can't, like they cap it at, at, at like 1200 You can't make more than 1200 a month with okay. the reels. It's really just um, merchandise for me off of the social media right. apps. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So you have a shop on the, and then they buy through Instagram. Yeah. Well, it's like um, not even buy through Instagram, just advertising products through Instagram or Facebook will get people to go to my store mm -hmm. to buy them. Yeah. yeah. There is a thing where you can buy, there is a, a feature where you can buy directly within Instagram. I think it's called mm -hmm. like Instagram shop or cart or something like that um but then that involves meta taking a cut of every sale so i yeah. haven't adopted that yet I've... um i'll look into it at some point because it could be worth it <laughs> because you might convert more sales that way but i've avoided it thus far oh nice yeah i've tried i've mm -hmm. i've, I've kind of i've started it because i'm like i'm like uh I think people don't like clicking. So <laughs> the yeah. less amount of clicks, the more likely they're going to be. Yeah, that's like, I need to do that calculus and figure out yeah. in the future if it's <laughs> going to be worth it. Um, and then, you know, they might just force it on us at some point. Yeah. Now, what's the likelihood of us seeing uh, a Manscaped product placement in one of your comics as a sponsor in, in the upcoming days? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've... Um... I haven't done like branded partnerships 
I'm not sure that my content totally lends itself to that kind of stuff yet, but I would not honestly rule it out if it was for a company that I actually like a product that I use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you can make a joke then, out of it, maybe, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the closest thing I've done to that was I did like an Adobe partnership where I was actually using oh, Adobe okay. products. So I went um, into their studio and did like a demonstration with their products and oh, they paid me to cool. be there and stuff. Um, that was like the most branded thing I've done so far. Yeah. I've been pretty lucky to be able to like make most of my money just independently through merchandise that I'm designing and selling directly to people. Mm. And then books and TV obviously can be very lucrative depending on like how successful your pitch is. That's really interesting. How, so you said that you work on pitches. How many, Mm -hmm. how many pitches have you, Put together for TV shows and movies. So I've only pitched one show so far, and it was the one that I sold. What? That's one crazy. for one. Yeah. Perfect track record. <laughs> <Yeah>, undefeated. <laughs> Unde- <laughs> wow, um, that is so crazy. That is so cool. So now but, I'm, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm um, putting together pitches for another book and a, another animated series. Mm. Is the, I have um, a few animated series ideas, um, but... Yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't go into too much detail about exactly what I'm working sure. on, especially because there's like zero guarantee that it's actually going to go somewhere. Maybe I can talk about it at some point in the future. How does a how does a book pitch differ from a show pitch? If you are able to just talk about that, um, I, the book pitches are usually you just like email an idea to the publisher in a, like in a, a very formatted way, obviously. A book okay, pitch, I was about to say, book. like, what if a dog uh, <laughs> had a conversation with a snake? Wouldn't that be funny? Like, in that yeah, so, something That's like book. that. Um, and the snake sounds long and narrow. Yeah. <laughs> so they're kind of similar. Like, you make a something like a a pitch deck or a show bible, okay. but a book version, basically. Oh, okay. Although in my experience, there's been less like going in front of executives in a boardroom and giving a presentation with, with books, um, with sure. shows, that's very much the case. Like you're, you're presenting it in person and kind of selling yourself as a, as a creator, as a, and a producer as well. Okay. Do you, do you feel like, um, you had a little bit of a learning curve getting in the room, like getting people excited about you as a producer and a writer when you went for, cause I don't know. I feel like for me, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Like trying to be like mm-hmm. the front or do or are you, do you kind of like, like act a certain way or are you just yourself and you just kind of deliver and read through your pitch Bible? No, I'm kind of just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, so I did, like I said, I pitched to like almost every major network and I was really nervous for the first couple. And then by like three, four or five, I was kind of just cruising along. Mm. Yeah. Cause you kind of knew it inside and out. So you're like, yeah, I know this beat. And like, have, yeah. you, have you ever like, kind of like, have you ever done any kind of research? Like, oh, I'm going to take this pitch to, I don't know, Adult Swim. And I know this is kind of how the kind of content that they like. So I'm going to tailor my jokes a little bit to the content that you usually buy, or did you just go? The, no, the presentation I gave was pretty much the same for everyone. But actually, funny enough, Adult Swim was the first network that I pitched to, and I was so nervous because I love all of their shows. So <laughs> like, yeah. And I remember, like, I think they 
there were three executives and one of them laughed one time. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, dude, it's even pretty... worse over Zoom calls now because they, they like, oh, mute yeah. their mics during your pitch. It's, mm. yeah. <laughs> That's happened to me during my, so sometimes, dude, it's so funny. So I'm working on a short cartoon network right now and we're going mm. through the animatic and I've pitched this short a couple of times. So, and there's a joke that I really like, but every time I pitch it, silence. And then recently in the animatic, I was like, listen, I know this joke never gets any laugh. I don't know if it's funny, but I think it's really funny. And they're like, I don't know. It's good. It's good. We get it. <laughs> it stays in. It yeah. stays. Psyching yourself out. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, um, you get used to it though. And I guess if I do it again, I'm going to have to get used to it all over again. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's been like a while, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, is is that one of the first times that you found yourself having to read like strips out loud or anything? Like, like were you reading your strips out loud in the in the pitch meetings and then being like, "Oh, this hits different when you read it out loud," like that sort of thing? No, I was doing like if you've ever seen a show bible, it usually outlines like um, premise setting characters so i was going through those things oh, okay. um being like ernesto and kevin live together and their friend tanya and they go on adventures and blah blah, blah and kind of like outlining what the show is about and then i would say the most important part of my pitch for that first show was that we had a three minute long animated short um mm. that was adapted from one of my longer comic arcs featuring those characters um and then that's what we would play at the end and that's where people would like laugh and stuff because it was it was a really good like quickly made short mm. yeah how, how do you decide um like when a like it, what at what point do you decide when a strip is going to be like oh this is like a whole thing <laughs> like this is this isn't one joke like do, do you ever like do the first one and you're like i want more of this and and that's when it spirals out into a longer form thing yeah i typically don't plan the arcs it's just like i'll draw one comic and then i'll be like oh this could go somewhere and then i'll turn it into like three okay. or four more comics yeah it's like you're doing a pilot really like doing for it. yourself you're auditioning yeah your own strips for yeah, yourself Yeah, totally <laughs> it's just when i'm feeling it and then sometimes I'll draw like a three or four page long comic that's all just one comic. That's when I'm feeling like really jazzed and inspired by an idea. I love that. I feel like that's, yeah, I I relate to that. That's kind of how I create you. It's kind of like, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. like see where it takes you. It's That's really nice. Because then yeah. you don't feel too pressured to, I feel like it's really hard to plan out a full long stories like way ahead of time i don't know i feel like it's very daunting do you feel like that's kind of how you approach writing for the tv show as well or are you just kind of like writing them like as the the episodes as they went with the tv show i had like i'd have a premise for an episode and then i would outline it and try to hit like the three acts mm. um and write it that way yeah because it's i would try to make it a little bit more structured mm. um because it's easy to get like kind of like literally lose the plot if you just go in blind and try to write 20 pages yeah like off the cuff it's nice to have some structure to work around yeah did you take any did you take any like um screenwriting classes or did you just pick no up a book i read or? a book i read a book that was called like how to write tv sitcoms mm. 
Yeah. And then I read a lot of um, as many scripts as I could find from other sitcoms, like shows that I liked. Like I read the Broad City pilot. Mm -hmm. I read um, what else? Probably like The Office, a few Office scripts, Parks and Rec. I mean, those are different. Those are like multi or um, single cam shows. So they're a little different. But Broad City was pretty informative as far as being like a, a wacky modern sitcom. I yeah I feel like that's the best advice I ever got for writing is like read scripts uh do you mm-hmm. when you read a script do you like pick it apart how, what's your or do you just read it and you're like done <laughs> what's your what, what how do you study a script I just read them okay yeah sometimes like highlight passages or yeah just try to remember um a lot of it is like lear- was learning how to format mm. um and how to like describe scenes mm which is important for the actual directing once people start putting together the actual animation Mm -hmm. i mean i know a lot of animated shows are made from storyboards first though so mine was a little bit different you know it was made from a script yeah i feel like um from a script is pretty common as it's half and half Mm -hmm. i feel like um board driven is a little bit of the like um I don't know, UFO from the past like 10 years that came kind of from Cartoon Network, but I I think, I don't know, this is me speculating, everyone. Don't take this and go running with it, but I feel like maybe Board Driven is kind of falling out of fashion a little bit. Interesting. I think it is. I think it's a little bit more expensive and it's, um, yeah, yeah, I think think so too. Mm. (laughs) Well, V and Sean said it. It has to be the truth. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's tough because board driven board driven is really really hard because it means that the um, you're expecting your board artist to not only be really good at drawing, be really good at boards, but also be really good at writing. And it's really it's a lot rare. Of, yeah. yeah, it's rare to have all of the qualities in a single person. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I wanted to ask you if there was ever a time where you felt like that imposter syndrome, whether whether it's like, okay, I'm making a show, but like, what am I doing making a show? I'm a comics guy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, did you ever have that like, like I'm turning in this script, they're gonna see right through me that I that I was just studying scripts <laughs> like mm-hmm. like a week ago, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think. I mean, it would have been easy to fall into that, but I was like on a deadline and I had to do the work. So I didn't really let it get to me. And then also adapting my comics for TV has always been my goal. I guess I could have mentioned that at some point earlier, but I originally, I wanted to be like a TV writer. Um, I wanted to write for film and and TV and comics kind of were initially a way for me to like practice comedy writing. That's how I looked at them. Mm-hmm. But then they took off and, you know, went viral or whatever. And so I started doing it full time. Um, but it was always my goal to eventually be able to adapt them to animation. Um, okay, so you weren't so caught off guard by... No, I was, this is, I was working toward it for many years to get okay. to that point. And yeah, so it was less imposter syndrome and it was more like, oh shit, time to do this. <laughs> Once I actually, the opportunity was in front of me. <laughs> That's so crazy. Uh, I feel like that's so cool. Um, so you were starting scripts from like way before. You didn't just start studying scripts when you got your show picked up. No, I started studying scripts when I started like putting together a pitch. Okay, okay, okay. 
Uh, do you experience creative block and how do you work through it? Do you have any uh, things that have sort of performed well for you, tried and true throughout the years of all this mm -hmm. uh, writing and drawing? Um, yeah, I definitely do. I think what I try to do is avoid creative block altogether by just continuously making stuff mm -hmm. and just being okay with making things that are quote unquote bad in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, like not being afraid of a, a comic not landing with my audience or something and just kind of continuing to pump stuff out. Um, in at times where I've been blocked and haven't been able to write for like two weeks or something, I've found I'll just make a really dumb comic or make like a few really bad ones and then like the good stuff will start coming. And now I just try to kind of never turn off the faucet basically by just mm -hmm. continuously cranking out like at least three a week. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then um, another good thing is just to continue going back to those influences and finding new influences. Um, and just keep absorbing a bunch of media because, you know, that all just like, I don't know, gets knocked around in your head and starts to create your own original ideas out of it eventually. So like, yeah, just keep studying things you enjoy. And, what's one, um, what's one new influence for you? Um, well, the most recent show I watched was a BBC show. I think it's BBC called Ghosts. Um, I believe there's an American adaptation now too. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's one new influence for me. It was like a supernatural sitcom um, about a couple that moves into a house filled with ghosts. I and heard I of loved... that. I heard it was really funny yeah. and like weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I really like supernatural comedy so that was that's a new influence for me right there nice. i also read all the dune books not mm -hmm. too long ago it was a new influence for me oh yeah do you ever want to do sci-fi that's a lot of reading i did really want to do sci-fi yeah i have like started writing um a couple of sci-fi like concepts for film very much influenced by reading dune do you feel like pitching are you gonna pitch live action or are you gonna stick to animation um i would like to have one successful animated show that gets like more than one season before mm -hmm. i jump to live action but i would really love to do live action at some point i remember my question now because uh, <laughs> sean was asking you about imposter syndrome while, while you were writing for your the tv show and i was gonna ask you if you feel like your following online helped you with your confidence i'm asking that because i feel like for me, before I found a little bit of an audience or like people excited about my work, I was always stuck in the perpetual loop of like, none of the things I write make any sense. Uh, none of the things, blah, 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 blah. But then now mm -hmm. that I have people that are like, this is funny. I like this. I'm like, okay, it can't be that bad if some people are into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. I I think that has given me some confidence, um, especially when I get like nice notes from people or when I meet mm -hmm when I meet people in real life and they tell me, you know, how much the comics mean to them or mm -hmm. how it makes their day better or whatever. And then, yeah, just, you know, it, it feels pretty good to get tens of thousands of likes on a comic that you make. Mm -hmm. um, and that feels pretty like validating and encouraging to keep making more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess there is like a degree of confidence that comes from it. 
Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, I think when you're pitching a, a big project that's going to, a company's going to have to invest a lot of money in, mm-hmm. um, the idea you're coming in with is probably more important than your social media numbers. Like, I think social media numbers can get you a meeting mm, and can give you a confidence boost. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to come in with a solid idea and be mm-hmm. able to execute on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I do feel like confidence is a big part, though. I feel like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like for artists, like, it's easy to just kind of, like, beat yourself up and be like, nobody cares, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I I can fall down that spiral uh, all the time, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's very, it's, like, uh, kind of addictive, like, self-pity or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Also, because this is can be a very... Not can be. It is a very isolating line of work. Yes. You know, drawing comics. You're not working yeah. with a big crew of people. Yeah. You're generally just alone in a room writing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that kind of setting lends itself to feeling bad for yourself <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I've definitely had to consciously avoid that um, at times. And it's still something I, you know, I'm like, I feel pretty well established at this point and I'm grateful for like the success I've had, but Mm -hmm. I still feel like I have like mental and emotional ups and downs when it comes to my work, like Mm -hmm. all the time, no matter, I think no matter how big or successful you get, that's always going to be present in any like artist's life. What if we kind of turn the question of like creative luck around and ask it about your how you deal with your like mental health tied to your content like like if you if you're having a bad day and you're like I like the my comics I don't like the comic I've been putting out or like it doesn't make any sense or like oh like you know nobody cares about my work like how do you kind of catch that like how do you kind of get past that or do you just kind of let it <laughs> watch over you and you're like I'll just wait until this is done <laughs> um sometimes I try to channel my negative feelings into my work and then it becomes mm. uh like a comic that people relate to and oh yeah 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 take some solace in or find some like uh community and a feeling that they thought they were having alone mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah I yeah so I think I try to be honest with my work and as far as like describing my feelings in my work yeah like the yeah being genuine that's hard Mm -hmm. how you how do you how do you I don't know I feel like there's a little bit of like vulnerability that you have to be able to to have and confidence because I feel like I don't know sometimes I'm like I feel so negative and sad and I want to make my emo comic, but then I'm like, mm-hmm. "Ooh, no, everybody's going to know. bum anybody out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And then people are going to text me and be like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's why, yeah, I don't, I have the benefit of not drawing myself as a character in my comics or even mm. humans. So I can just have like a small unassuming mouse channel a lot of my negative emotions out mm. into the world. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like hey, they don't know that that's actually me yeah. <laughs> like the, the mouth then, is like so hey, what is that there's like that meme where you're like people are like it me and i'm like no it me <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's so funny. 
uh we have some great questions from our patrons uh i um kind of want to get to them because uh, they're pretty thoughtful yeah um from our patron kitty fries what kind of advice would you give to your past self when you were starting out in web comics what advice i mean in a lot of ways i feel like i somehow managed to follow all the right beats and do most things pretty well um but i would say start practicing tv writing earlier mm. focus more on that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's well that's, that's i guess that's yeah. not really advice for a web cartoonist though um <laughs> no but i do feel like that's a good advice because i feel like i don't know when you i don't know i really like if that. you have something that you really want to do mm -hmm. um the the best time to start is now and like, don't be afraid to try to develop new skills because you think they're going to take a while. Like right now, I, I've just recently started to learn animation programs like After Effects. Mm. Um, and I'm already like well into my career, but I just figure, you know, I could start now and in a few years, I can have a pretty good skill set or I can not start now and just never develop that skill set. Are we so, going to see some motion comics from you? Maybe, you know, with TikTok and everything. I really like this slideshow function and it's kind of easy for me, but yeah, maybe I'll do some short animation at some point. You heard yeah, it on like creative said, blog first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that would be my advice is don't shy away from, you know, um, programs or skills that feel a little bit foreign to you. Mm. Like when you're young, just try to learn and pursue anything that's vaguely of interest to you. Yeah, that's great advice, I, especially the writing. I feel like, I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I feel like you kind of like started drawing more out of necessity from what I'm, I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong. You started drawing more out of necessity rather than like, oh, I, I like kind of drawing a mm -hmm. bunch of random stuff. Yeah, um, totally. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I decided I liked, you know, I liked writing comedy and then I realized I really liked what comic strips could do because it was, there was, it lent a visual aspect to the writing. Um, so I just decided to come up with this style mm. that I could work in and recreate fairly easily over and over again. And then my big piece of advice to cartoonists is something I already mentioned, which is just that consistency is key. Yeah, it's funny because I think I remember that from a um, Hark of a Grant, um, Kate, Kate B, what's her? Yeah, Kate Beaton. Beaton, yeah. Uh, I think that's what she said. And I think that was kind of like her mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> I was like, man, the answer to the question is so simple. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really that important. From um, our patron, Katie, do you think you learn more drawing wise from the process of making a web comic? Or do you think there are some things an artist should learn before attempting to make their own web comic? I only learned from the process of making the comic because like I mentioned I never took art classes or anything mm -hmm. I think oh that might be well I can link this back to the first question um mm -hmm. I do think there's a lot you can learn from classes and you know the traditional art route that would be very important just things like learning perspective and stuff I mean I'm watching you two draw on this jamboard right now and you both obviously have like you know you can really quickly create things that look lifelike Mm. and like you understand perspective and like anatomy and stuff mm. um which is something that i don't those are skills i don't really have 
-hmm. So I would say it's, you know, I can communicate like facial expressions and like funny little body motions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you can, you'll learn like 80% of making your web comic from just making a web comic. But if you, if you put like another 20% of effort into like re really learning how to be a good or like a competent artist, I think that can carry you a long way. Mm. But it's kind of interesting though, because it feels like you were like, you're like, oh, I'm going to make a webcomic. I'm just going to start doing it. Like you, you, you mm -hmm. didn't kind of like spend time ramping up like, oh, I need to reach this level of like drawing before I can make. A no, comic. no, yeah. totally not. You can, mm -hmm. I mean, this was when I started, there was like stick figure comics were really popular. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cyanide and Happiness was, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't like it's, it's Renaissance much... art. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was like, it <laughs> looked like stick figures. It yeah. was just the writing that made it so funny. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why those do well is because uh, anybody can put any like feeling onto that character because mm -hmm. it's not a specific looking character. And it's disarming in a way, um, like a small nondescript character that doesn't mm -hmm. have too much detail. And that's an, like, I'm a much more competent artist now than I was when I started, but I've still um tended not to put too much detail or background art or anything because i i really like just the one or two characters and the dialogue to be the, the heavy focus and i also really i have like a minimalist sensibility in everything i do as well like i'm very neat and organized and so i like the comics to look neat and organized and straightforward mm. I agree with what you're saying about like there's like a universal thing to like the dot eyes and the very like minimalist features. I was thinking about mm -hmm. that like the other day because when you think about Adventure Time and how popular it is, I was wondering like I wonder if the character designs were also part of it because they're so you know they don't have a lot of features. It's just like the little eyes, the little smiley face, and like emojis or just like mm -hmm. two eyes, a mouth, and I feel like that has a very universal appeal. And I think that's something that's really I don't know. Worth noting. Um, yeah. You know. Are the scientists looking into this? Um, <laughs> uh, let me. <laughs> I am looking under my microscope, and I see only two dots and a smile. Uh, yeah, the emoji. Yeah. There was even a point where I switched from doing eye, my eyes that used to be like a circle with a pupil. I used oh. to do the eyes like that, and there was a time where I made the conscious decision to switch to just dot eyes. The end mm -hmm. of an era. Yeah, it, was, it really is like there was like first wave of poorly drawn lines comics and then that was like the second wave like second era um, where I just started doing the dot eyes and it started to look a lot more like it does now it's like and with that I kind of sacrificed some certain facial expressions that I like to use but then I figured out how to do other ones mm. that's, so, that's so interesting yeah that's really cool I think yeah, style is so yeah, style is so important. And I think especially with the writing, do you feel like you're always kind of gonna stick to this kind of like surrealist, minimalist type of writing, or do you feel like trying out some other styles? Um, I think I'll keep doing like poorly drawn lines style stuff mm -hmm. for as long as you know, as long as people seem to still be reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I if I branched out into like live action, I would probably try to adapt it for live action a little bit more but i also think that my style could work in live action as well me too yeah 
Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like almost a little, almost like Napoleon Dynamite a little bit. Uh, oh yeah there's an influence i forgot about that was one that stuck in my head you know i saw that in high school or whatever and i was like this is very good yeah (laughs) just like so dry and weird and kind of dumb but like just so funny and like heartfelt Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think yeah i this was such a great interview i love i'm so glad because i feel like we were able to like talk about not only your influences on everything but also like how you actually make stuff and i think mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to hit in a single interview all of these different aspects so i don't know i'm really excited that we were able to like look at, at your creative process we were able to look at your business brain as well and like mm-hmm. your whole like career I think is so cool and like your aspiration as a writer as well so um yeah this is so exciting and um I feel thank you so much for your time yeah thanks for asking great questions yeah thank you for having me on this was a lot of fun yeah. I really liked um seeing your your drawings here <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure. I I know that you weren't able to draw on it. But I wasn't sure if you were if you, if you were still if no, you were still looking through I, the pages. I actually, <laughs> I, are these archived somewhere? I, these are some of the best um, drawings of me that I've ever seen. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I was influenced by also how Sean is drawing you. I saw Sean drawing you with like big old eyelashes somewhere oh in the cave i was like oh you you drew him so pretty and i was like i want to draw some pretty wrestling as well <laughs> yeah I looked, at first i was like oh is that me all right yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> and i was like yeah i like the eyelashes that's really cute <laughs> um yeah that was so fun i'm I so- also like the mouse yeah, it's. I was trying to do your mouse character, and I was like, I can't yeah. remember how you draw the mouse. No, it, it looks like my mouse if he was a character in Arthur. Yes. Which, which yes. Yeah, that is. Yes. I might have to. I might have to borrow that design and throw it in a comic somewhere. I don't know exactly how it would work. Maybe like a fever dream that Mouse is having, where he's picturing oh. himself as a person. I'm like Please. realistic a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would be. So, oh my gosh, that would be so fun. It's really fun. Like getting. I don't know. As an artist, get, do you get a lot of fan art or on your comics? I feel like getting fan art is like the best thing ever. It's I like do, such yeah, a rush. Occasionally, I've been getting a lot. I've seen a lot of tattoos lately, which I guess is kind oh. of like permanent. Fan it is i and it makes sense because i was reading an article on tattoo artists recently where basically they were saying there's like this kind of i mean i guess it was new a couple years back but so now Mm. maybe it's fading out of but um it's called uh yeah it's minimalism but in tattoo like before it was it was very intricate and and very like elaborate designs and now there's this new kind of like style and tattoo where it's a little bit like almost data it's like oh we'll just get mm. this like little simple design and it's like the new aesthetic now that's kind of popular um like little yeah, simple guys I I little, like a ice, little ice cream cone little yeah little just cactus. yeah like very simple just yeah. like like almost just like line work just, yeah just one work, like yeah. A, yeah 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 very similar i want to get a little cheeseburger <gasps> i have a i have a i have a toilet tattoo on my... oh, yeah. you do no I, I got this tattoo because um th- there was a, a tattoo that I drew on all my characters if my character had a tattoo because mm-hmm. I was always like what kind of character what, what kind of tattoo would this character have and I always thought it, would, it was funny to give a 
characters a toilet tattoo. It's like the stupidest tattoo I feel like you could get. So so yeah. I got I got it on me too. But <laughs> that's so funny. I feel like there's I don't know. What's the stupidest tattoo you get? I guess Sean already told us he, the stupidest tattoo you could think of was a toilet. But what about you, Reza? What's the stupidest tattoo you can think of? Um, I drew, well, I had one in a comic once where one of my characters got a tattoo of a, I don't even remember the exact joke. He got a tattoo of a ghost carrying a cake. Um, and it was something about getting paid in life and the afterlife or something like that. I don't oh, know. yeah. Eating your cake, like... <laughs> like having your cake and eating it too in the <laughs> I don't know yeah something yeah. like that I don't even remember the joke anymore but it turns out like some character one of the other characters was speculating that that was maybe the reason he got the tattoo and then the character with the tattoo was like what I mean it's just a ghost carrying cake I don't know what you're talking about and <laughs> don't I think somebody that. actually got that ghost carrying cake as a tattoo in real that's life dope. that's yeah. so funny that's yeah that's so cool oh my gosh people really like getting mouse as a tattoo though Mouse like, is a just, great character. I've seen a lot of tattoos of it'll just be like a black outline panel with Mouse like saying something or just mm -hmm. him with like his fists up. Yes, that one. That one. Yeah. yeah. I was going <laughs> to ask you too, like um, there's, I don't know if I, if you feel that way about your characters, but like when I was, I don't know, I was reading like Winnie the Pooh recently and I was like, it's so funny how all these characters are like very specific um emotion like they, they embody like a very mm. specific and i was wondering if you kind of thought about your characters in a similar way where it's like mouse is a little bit like angrier or like you know like is snail like what is do you yeah. have a personality for each of them like how do you i, I do and um that's something i've been trying to emphasize as i work more with like recurring regular characters uh, so it's nice to have them have distinct personalities and like attributes. So mouse is like the anxious one. Mm. Bird is the angry one. Mm. Turtle is like um, knowledgeable, but naive. Mm. And uh, snail is like sh sketchy and unreliable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Like snail's That's the one who will just like pull out a bag of cocaine at random times or something that's funny because i feel like that would be the most popular character i feel like usually the characters are the most popular the one that are like the, the insane ones like the wild card yeah 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 <laughs> yeah the but, ones that are most fleshed out are mouse and bird for sure because i use them the most so i really should flesh out um snail and turtle more that's why like chaos arc. comics out in advance is good mm. yeah because you can really start to think of um like how the comics are going to link together and their personalities are going to kind of like present themselves over time. Yeah. Oh man. That's so fun. That's so fun. Like I, yeah, that's so great. That's uh, I'm so glad that we got to talk about all of this. This was really fun and that we got to talk about tattoos. Yeah. Uh, that's the end of uh, this creative block. Uh, Reza, right. thank you so much for being our guest and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter at CRTVBlock, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to our editor, Clements, for editing the podcast, and Malik for helping us produce the show. If you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews, as well as bonus episodes. Click the link in the description of this episode. I have been your host, V. And I have been Sean. Uh, keep being creative. And we'll see you next week.
Bye. Bye. Bye.